square peg has to go in the square hole. It can't go in the round hole. What the hell's wrong with you? No, square holes only for these square pegs. And welcome back to another episode of the Refactored Podcast, where it's our goal here to suck just a little bit less every day from the brink of sanity. My name is Chris Tonkinson. And from the basement of the Ivory Tower, my name is Frank Cole. And this is episode number 97, recorded February 14th, 2023. Happy Valentine's Day, my man. I hope you've got Thank something you. planned. Yeah, I'm, I'm wearing friend. the colors. I'm, I'm sporting the colors. You're wearing black. You're not yes. sporting the colors. <laughs> That's, it's what was on top this morning. I'm very festive. I thought we would continue the conversation we had last week. You you had a really great one-liner in there where you talked about what an engineer really needs to do to be successful. And so I thought that would be a great place to start. You, you said three things, but you actually added a fourth on top of it. Um, all right, remediate me. What did what did I what what nonsense did I spout off there? Write documentation, organize projects, and talking to humans. And then later we added a fourth with learning Git. So I thought that that would be a great talking point, simply because I think you're absolutely spot on. That that is those are the things that specifically do not get taught in your average CS class. That is not things that your average engineer learns until they're out and about. And a lot of times those lessons are hard won when they really shouldn't be as painful as, as that. If, if I was responsible for building a computer science program today, those three things plus Git and doing Git would absolutely be at the, at the top of, of my list. I'd be looking at adding some kind of communications class, a writing class, maybe even something specifically around document, uh, not document drafting, um, the documentation drafting, technical writing, technical writing. That's what I was thinking of. But those are things that I think every engineer needs to know. And we're just sort of figuring that out as we go along. And so I thought, yeah, this is actually, this is, this is useful. Let's, let's talk about this. So of those four, which one do you think is, where, where do you want to start? Which one do you think is the most important? That, that's tough. I, you know, one of the things that comes to mind, you know, not, not everybody that goes into a computer science program is going there for the same stuff. Um, I think the vast majority, though, like if we can just be a little practical here, the vast majority are going into a comp sci program because they're going to become a developer. Right. Mm -hmm. So if we could just talk about the general case and leave aside all the little uh, kind of pointless exceptions to the rule, that's that's people are going into comp sci to write code. Right. Mm -hmm. So if we could just kind of skip past some of the nuance there. Um, I don't know. That's a tough. So so documentation, talking to people, managing projects and using Git. Uh, it's got to be. So, so assuming that everybody comes from some baseline level to speak English, right? Like you can actually, you can, you can linguistically communicate with people. Uh, communication is, is kids. It's the most important skill of humanity, right? I mean, it's what, that's almost what defines humanity is our ability to have language, right? And, and communicate ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, but not to get too witty, too witty. Honestly, I think it's manage a project or use Git. Like, mm. I, my and I have been saying this for a very, very long time. If your code isn't in Git, it doesn't exist. Like that is the that is that is the way that you deliver your work product as a developer. It's Git. That's how you that's how you ship things is with Git. Um, so that like that's a tactical thing that. But I feel like also it doesn't take that much to pick up. You know, like you start a job, like you, you graduate yesterday, uh, you start a job today by tomorrow, you've got the basics. So it's very important. It's very critical, but I feel like it's not something that takes a lot of work now it gets like, gets super complex. You know, you can, it's, it's got a whole, like, it's just a bag of foot guns. Um, but I don't <laughs> think it really 
takes a lot to get. And so for that reason, I would actually put out of that list of four, I would, I would put run a project at the top, right? Cause that, that, that record, like, like, how do you, how do you gather the requirements? How do you lay out the work? How do you plan the work? How do you account for the execution of that project and then make sure that everybody's happy at the end of it? Um, I don't know. That's my knee jerk. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yeah, I'm. hmm. The challenge I have there is writing a project is almost a. Wait a minute. Let me go back to my list. I say writing a project. I said organize a project. Okay, writing a project. Yeah, same idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I feel like organize a project is the culmination of the other three. Because when you're organizing the project, you're you're talking to humans, you're you're your your requirements gathering. You are then writing up documentation. Some of it's just internal for you, some of it's actually going to go back to the customer, whomever you're building the thing for. And you're obviously going to code. And so you need get, I mean, that's, you know, goes without saying. So I almost see that as, as the, as the, as the top level of the, of the three. However, I, hmm, I, I use the analogy of writing a computer science course. I'm not sure I want to go too much further down that track. Cause that's going to lead us into some, into yeah, making and some, tough. some rules and concessions that I don't think we need to make for, for our audience. Um, yeah, and it's you know, and it's tough because I don't like they're not all well, those four things. They're not equal. No, right? They're not like they're not like so. They're they're not all like alter like those are the only four buckets of work, and they're all at the same level of abstraction and difficulty and touch. So it's it it is a kind of a tough question. I I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, I mean that's if if okay. So if I if I step away from our from our college college analogy, then. Yeah, as long as you understand at that point that you need to put all your code into version control and the act of organizing the project will force you to learn documentation and talking to humans. So yeah, in that sense, that is the right place to start. It also, I I like the idea of it being, you you used, you said specifically, you know, start with your project. And I thought that that Mm -hmm. was really essential too because it's real easy to step into an existing existing work existing uh projects legacy stuff a lot of times especially if you're new at a company you're what you walk into brownfield almost every time there's there's going to be yeah. stuff like that and so then you have to pick up and do what somebody else has already done and that's a great way to learn too you can see things that you can see the way generally a project gets done and things like that, but you don't actually feel it. You don't internalize it the same way as when you do it yourself. And so whatever piece you're working on, try and make it your own personal greenfield carve out and make it into its own little project, because then you'll have a better understanding and appreciation for all the different little nuances. It's kind of like I had a teacher high school who forced us to to write down the things they didn't hand out notes. Everybody gives out PowerPoints. Now everybody gives out PowerPoint slides. If I ever Mm -hmm. went back to teach, I already decided that I would never do that. I'm not going to hand you anything. I'm going to make you write it all down. And that's not because I'm a jerk teacher. It's actually because I'm a really, I I would in theory, but not in theory. I would. Two things can be true at once. I I mean, I would, (laughs) I, I could be a jerk. This wouldn't be why, but I would also be an amazing teacher I mean, unquestionably. Come on, look at me. I, 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 I mean, I got some questions. <laughs> so, <laughs> I would, I, uh, this teacher, and I would do the same thing. Forced me to write down the things rather than handing me printed notes, because the act of writing the thing down made the knowledge more memorable. It actually puts it more permanently in your mind for a certain learning style. Uh, yes, uh, I, I mean. S- is there- for certain learning styles. I, I'm not a note taker. I don't write things down. I pay yeah, attention. Yeah, I can't get you to right? publish notes ever. I, <laughs> when I'm in a lecture, I listen. Okay. And that's got my undivided. If I'm trying to take notes, it distracts me. I don't retain. I don't, I don't get the information and I don't retain it. 
Hmm. And so that's just a difference in learn. Some people need to do something. There's tactile learning. There's audio learning. There's, you know, written learning and read. Um, There are different learning styles. And that's, that's, that's clearly part of your constellation of, of learning styles, but that's not going to work for everybody. Hmm. Okay. Because that would drive me nuts. That would be actually counterproductive to me. If I've got it, if I'm expected to write things down while they're talking, then I'm not paying attention to what they're saying. I'm going to miss things. Like I, yeah, that's hmm. me. Okay. Well, I mean, the fact remains, you're going to have to to write things down and, and you know, you, for the benefit and consumption of, of other people. Um, so back to, back to organizing the project, you know, just going through the act of it. I mean, would you agree? Okay. So maybe you don't agree on learning styles, but the act of going through and you know running your own organizing and running your own project that would like, you're going to learn from doing that as opposed to just piggybacking off somebody else's project. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's, there's experience to be gained there for sure. Okay. All right. Um, so how, okay, so let's, let's take a step back. How do, how do we get started organizing a project? Like when you, when you get started, what's the first thing you do? I'm doing a new thing. So when I'm doing a new thing, what's the first thing I get started? Uh, try to understand what problem I'm, I want to solve. Okay. So how do you do that? Right, so I, brass tacks, what does that actually turn into in, in action? So I'm making a, I'm making a software project, right? That's kind of the, the game here. Um, I want to know, I want to, I want a very clear list of what the expected outcomes are, right? So the system must do this, you know, you're talking functional requirements, non-functional requirements. This is the list. This is the outcome. These are the sex criteria, however you want to, you know, however you want to phrase it, there's a desired outcome. And I want at least, it could be a lot more complicated, but at least a bulleted list of what those are at a high level. Um, Then I'm going to take that and I'm going to turn that into, um, I'm going to add to that. So I'm that that I'm doing in partnership with a stakeholder, right? Even if that's if that's me, then I can do it myself. Uh, but if there's a business stakeholder involved, I'm going to do that in partnership with them. Then I'm going to translate and I'm going to add a bunch of technical requirements. I'm going to supplement those with technical things. Okay, so here's what the thing needs to do. But I know I have to use this language or that tool or whatever the you know annoying realities are Mm -hmm. um then i'm going to come up with a technical design and so that's that's probably like a that might be a couple of paragraphs but it's probably like a diagram of some sort to lay out what are the components that we've got to manage how do they connect how do they talk to each other what is the overall flow of this system look like whether it's new or or revised and then i look at it say okay now that i know what I've got to build, I know what it's going to look like internally and technically. Now I can say if it's, you know, again, let's take it into a team context. I know I've got these five people with these five skill sets. Um, who's going to do which work when? And, you know, you, you kind of start to, to lay that out over a calendar so that you can eventually hopefully arrive. You know, there's some estimation that's got to be done in there. Um, and again, I'm going into the practical case where a lot of businesses, they need they need to understand like when they're going to get the thing, right? So, so um, we're not doing total agile in, in this case um, because project planning with agile, like that's your sprint planning and your backlog room, like you don't have that. So I, we're kind of in the other bucket here. Um, yeah, I mean that's kind of what it looks like. I don't know if that's the right level of abstraction that you're that you're looking to get out yeah, of that I'm, question. I have no, I have no set expectation of of what the abstraction is. I, I'm just sort of throwing, you know, just talking talking through it. I think that, I think that what you the the steps that you described. I think even I mean we could drill into those individually because even okay requirements gathering. How how do I how do I do that? You know, there there are. I mean, I've seen plenty of engineers. You know, okay. I I need there's the there's the the picture the meme picture of the tire swing in the tree. Oh, I love that. You, you know, we gotta find. We'll, we'll, we'll put we'll link that in the show notes. I, that's I mean, that's fantastic. It's, that's classic, and that's just that is pure requirements gathering, human communication, one hundred and one type of challenges, and being able to navigate that and not have not have that fall over, like not have that be a problem. That yeah. that's. I think really, really essential. And so 
require so uh, with when when it comes to requirements gathering, I mean, you can boil it down to what the customer says is not necessarily what they need. And so mm-hmm. what they what often happens, this is the I, I think this is the most obvious and common mistake that beginners will do or uh, with with this kind of work. Okay, when they customer comes to you and says, I need a thing that does X. And they describe oftentimes with a fair amount of specificity. I need a checkbox Uh that says this next to it. And then when I click this, it goes over here. And they can actually lay out oftentimes a fairly elaborate multi-step process that they are trying to go through. And the the mistake that I think a lot of people make is they take what they say and then they just they go and build the thing that they said that they need. Yeah, that's that's a critical mistake. What they what they what they said because what they're saying is not necessarily what they need. And so the first thing you have to do in those situations is say, okay, thank you for that information. You don't stop that. that you don't you don't cut them off. You say no, wait, stop. No, that's not what we want to do. You don't do that. Um, that's another common engineer thing. You know, the yeah. Nick Burns company computer guy. Don't don't be Nick Burns your company's computer guy. Don't don't get in there and <laughs> move. Don't don't do that. Okay, thanks for that information. I've got that down here. Okay, let's back up a step. Let's get, let, I don't want to talk code. Talk to me about what you're actually trying to accomplish here. Talk to me about what's the problem we're trying to solve here. Where's this information coming from and where's it going? And what are you doing with it in the middle? And understand, and this is not technical at all. This is, this is business and logic process. This isn't attached to anything that... Yeah, is is necessarily that's code. a big honestly that's, that's a, huge, a that's a yeah. it's it's a big piece of it and it's a thing that I don't often see done well if at all so we you know you can have technical design architectural diagrams you can have uh, a requirements document what I often don't see and I think it's a big miss is like a business flow diagram. Right. Like, like what is yeah. the process? Like a diagram for the overall business process. That is something that everybody keeps locked up in their skulls. Um, and that's not great. Yeah. Well, I think part of the reason we keep it locked up is because it's very, it's very amorphous. It, it has a tendency to shift sometimes dramatically, very quickly based on new information. And so the effort it takes to draw these things in a very, in a very formalized fashion you know, thinking like UML documents and, you know, those kinds of, you know, conditional logic flows and things like that. They take a lot of work to set those things up and there's a time and a place for them. I would say that it's like way further down. I I, I don't go there first, but I think your point is relevant and that's why we both have whiteboards. That's why we both have, you know, very large whiteboards right next to the desk because yeah, you do need to you do need to visualize these flows, but it needs to be quickly accessible and it needs to be also semi uh ephemeral. It's not something you necessarily need to hold on for long. Sometimes you just need to draw the concept to make sure that you and the other people involved are on the same page. And so going through that exercise I think is really important, but it doesn't need to be a a, a big dog and pony show. It doesn't need to be a very yeah. formalized spectacle. Um, so, but I mean, but when you, but, but, but then again, so not any, any conversation that includes the term UML is, is not going to draw my favor. Right. I, I, UML is <laughs> well, that's useful. why I said it. Cause I, I wanted to make your eyes roll. UML is, yeah, UML is useful in certain domains and almost none of them involve the kind of software that most people are writing most of the time, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just get that out of here. Yeah. Um, it's overkill. You're, you're swatting a fly with a Buick with UML. It's not, you, the tax you pay is not worth what you get out of it. Yeah. Um, we, yeah. we talked before, uh, like way long time ago about the C4 model. Um, it's an architectural diagramming paradigm. Um, created by a guy named Simon and I'm going to lose his. Uh, no, I, I can't. Simon. I remember the that I, at C4model.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, Simon, come on now. Um, I'm not going to find it. That's okay. Um, Simon Brown. Um, 
and so and so the I've I've deployed C4 model across across my current company and it's been really successful and I attribute and this is why we rolled it out and it has held true the reason that C4 works for architectural diagramming is because it's simple and it's easy and one of the criticisms that I've heard is well it's too simplified and it's too abstract it's too high level it's not detailed enough and the problem is every time anybody sh- this is this is true. Every single time someone has showed me a quote more detailed diagram <laughs> of any kind of network or any architecture or anything like that, it is always out of date. There's always something wrong. Oh, There's always. always oh yeah, but this actually changed six months ago. This doesn't go here. That actually is mislabeled. This thing is retired. We added a thing over here. It is never up to date. C four. The trade, because again, there are no solutions. There are only trade-offs with C4. You get what you need and what you need is something that is actually correct, right? And so it's, it's as much, you can go, you can give it as much detail as you want. You can really go ham and put a lot of detail in there if you want. We never have, um, because again, the time it takes to create that super detailed diagram up against the frequency with which that information changes and how useful is that document once it's minted, it's just not there. The ROI is not there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we start, we start top down. We go, you know, we go to level two across the board. I think there's one or two cases where we have like a level three. And if you're familiar with C4, you, you watch it, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, if maybe there are certain edge cases, we go into a level three diagram. That's it because it's not UML. It's not super detailed. Point is, with the with the the uh, like the the business flow diagram with the interaction diagrams of those sorts of things, I don't think you need to go full ham with it. I don't think you need to go spinning rims every detail, something that takes like forever to put together and then is invalidated often. But like your core business flow, it doesn't change that much. Mm-hmm. You know, data comes in, data goes out. Okay, what's the next level of detail? Well, data comes into this system processed by a second system and then reported on by a third system. Okay, great. Should we go to the next level down? What is that? What does that first system look like? What are the main components of it? Right. And you can kind of pinch to zoom in the different areas of the diagram where you really feel necessary. I think there's a ton of value in that for onboarding, right? Um, helping new people understand the context that they're operating in. Um, and that's, I mean, that is largely C4 is sort of an architectural diagramming paradigm, but it's specifically not like a data flow diagram or a business process, a business right. flow. Um, and I think it's a, I think it's a gap. Yeah. I, I think that, I mean, these are all, um, these are all things that they're, they're tools that have their, that have their place. I, I, I simply was bringing it up in the, in the sense of using visuals where where applicable to help ensure that the comms are clear. You know, going back to our tire swing meme, making sure that everybody's on the same page about what it actually needs to be. You know, the irony, the irony of the tire swing meme is if that were an actual project and you put that meme in front of all the people who actually gave their inputs into that. They would instantly all be on the same page. That's the that's what makes that meme to me. Yeah. That's what makes that meme so funny is that right, you you all explain different things, but see, now you've got this visual. And if 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 you all looked at this, you would all nod your head and agree on what happened and what should have mm-hmm. happened and what didn't. So <laughs> you know, use the yeah. visual tools are 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 a big, big help. But it's it's about it's about constructing that narrative and then making sure that you're you're echoing it back to the other to the other person. Okay, this is what I heard. Does that yeah. make sense? Does does that sound right? Are we missing anything else? Um, uh, what is that? What is that called? Double confirmation. Uh, my wife they do this in the clinical setting all the time. So if you have a patient in a room and there's a, a provider that wants to prescribe some uh, some drug uh, and there's a let's say there's a, a nursing staff that's there going to actually administer the drug. And so physician or the provider will say, hey, I want 10 milliliters of X medication, right? And then the nurse will say, I heard 10 milliliters of X medication. The doctor will say, yes, 10 milliliters of X medication. And like re- literally the thing is repeated three times. 
it's initially delivered, it's repeated, and then it is confirmed. There's that closed loop of confirmation mm -hmm. that they use to reduce errors so that you know for sure that you know that I know that you know that you know that I know that you know. Um, and I do this all the time. I'll, I'll, you know, I think I understand what you're saying, but I will often use this, you know, hey, let me repeat that back to you in my own words just to make sure I've got it. Right? That is a script that I roll out all the time, and I will intentionally, even if they said it perfectly, even if, even if I wouldn't have changed a word, right? couldn't have said it better myself, I will elect to use different language to repeat it back just to try to tease out any possible misunderstanding. Um, and then oftentimes, you know, I'm not, I'm usually not far off, right? Like well, if I, if different... I think I've got it, I usually do, but sometimes you don't, right? And you don't know which is which. The use of different language is actually part of the process that if you're doing it effectively, that's actually part of the, a core component of the process because you should be able to use different words to say the same thing because you're trying to grasp the concept. The concept is not the words. Yeah. The, you know, the mm -hmm. words are used to describe the concept. And so you should be able to use different words and they should be able to understand what you're saying and it should match with their expectation despite the fact that there are different words. So that is part of how, why, why, uh, why you do that. And I'll often come right out and say, okay, I'm going to repeat that back to you and I'm going to use different words just to make sure I understand it. You yeah. tell me if I'm missing anything. Like you could totally tee it up. Like you can, yeah. There, you, there's no need that, this isn't one of those, uh, customer research survey kind of things where you know no. what you say versus what you don't say really has an effect. That that's it's not that kind of. There's a time and a place for that. This isn't what I'm. This isn't one of them. And so you can be very straight out there and upfront. And honestly, you know, as a as a, uh, it it becomes a. Uh, I I feel like you earn points for doing it that way. I think the other person actually. Record, oh, okay. They're taking this seriously. I can see that they're, you know, they're really putting yeah. thought and effort into this. It, it actually makes you look like more of a professional practitioner of your, of your craft when you, when you do that mm -hmm. and then getting them to, to confirm what you're, what you said and, and then dealing with any additional follow-ups. The other thing that I'll do in these conversations is make sure I always close them with, okay, is there anything else that we didn't talk about? I leave this, it's this giant wide this open wide door. open. It's this yeah. wide open door of, okay, is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you think is important or things that I didn't bring up that you expected me to bring up? Because yeah. what questions didn't I ask that you expected me to? Right, because invariably, this has happened to me. I've been on both, I, I've, I've been on both sides of this now where uh, a topic wasn't covered and I made an errant assumption that it wasn't going to be covered or shouldn't because it was already accounted for elsewhere or things like that. You make these, mm -hmm. you make these mistaken assumptions. Oh, okay. I don't think I should ask that, or I'm not going to ask that. And in oh, some, that's a silly clarification. <laughs> right. And so, and I've, and I have been in situations where I've been the one communicating. And then I realized later that because of how I said a certain thing, it really tamped down the energy on this yeah. other topic or something like that. And so to counteract any of that, you, I mean, you can't foresee all of that. There's, there, I mean, th this is the, you know, this is the infinite complexity of human, human communication. So the way that you can counteract that, though, in, a, in an individual setting is to open that door at the end for, okay, I know that, th that thing floating in the back of your head that you didn't yeah. get to talk about. Let's talk about that. Let's, like, let's get that on the table. This is the place yeah. for that if there's anything still left. And it's amazing. It, it never ceases to amaze me how much crap comes out in that little tidbit at the end. Mm -hmm. uh, in a more, here's, here's a more uh, real world example that I think everyone can really uh, relate to. If you've ever been to a presentation, it could be at a conference, could be at your office, whatever. The presentation is often, okay, I mean, let's say it's a decent presentation. Well, even a decent presentation is not nearly as interesting or, in, or as insightful as the Q&A session that happens afterwards. Yeah. Because they ask questions and then you're answering things off the hook, uh, off the cuff, and 
it's usually highly relevant to your audience, to your situation to that point in time versus the thing that has been baked and is, you know, Mm -hmm. fully prepared. And that becomes, I mean, for me, when I give presentations, I try and get through my slides in 10 minutes. Like I, I try and absolutely plow through the conversation just to tee and and I try and set yeah. up the conversation so it is just simply teeing up a whole Q&A session afterwards because that's all yeah, I really want to do and is I just want to get to the questions because that's the most interesting useful stuff. Yeah, it is. And and one of the things and I've I've started to lean that this way too. I, I my brain I like to be thorough and precise and accurate the whole way and provide all of the context for all of the things and I really take and the problem is when you try to take your time like that, very few things are so linear that you don't, in, by design, create questions as you go. And then you're, you're at this awkward space. Well, do I let people ask questions that I know they're going to have before they're going to, you know, before I'm ready to address them and then tell them to hold them? Or do I say, hold your questions till the end? Of, simplify it, condense it down. If you can get it out in five or 10 minutes, you're at the right spot. Leave the balance of the half hour, hour, whatever it is. Get through it. Start top down is, is my, um, is kind of my new presentation. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Let me get you the information as quickly as possible, as condensed and fast as I think is reasonable so that we can get your questions out so that we can have kind of our base is covered and then make it more of a, more of a dialogue and less of a monologue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause, and that's going to tease out stuff that is, I mean, your, your presentation simply becomes the fodder for, for the topics that get discussed and maybe, you know, give you that, give the audience members uh, that spark of insight to, well, okay, I get that, but what about this? Or how does this relate to, highly relevant thing that I happen to be facing right now. And that, and that becomes a really useful, um, those can become actually really useful mental exercises to actually walk through whatever process, like say you're dealing with, I don't know, say you're giving a presentation on some new, um, I'll go back to my hobby horses. Let's say I'm giving a presentation on Hotwire, right? And, and you know, the, the new hotness that is Hotwire and how it's going to replace, God willing, all of these front end single page apps in the next, oh, I don't know. 30 minutes. He <laughs> dreams, I, folks. He <laughs> dreams. <laughs> and so let's say somebody is actually working on a project and, and, you know, the presentation's about Hotwire and it's, it's awesomeness and how you should use it. And then somebody has a question because they're actually using it and it's, they have a highly specific situation they're trying to deal with. And now you can actually walk back and forth with them through a real world situation. Highly, highly effective at illustrating how to use the thing because you're actually walking through a real world situation with somebody who's actually facing the problem on how to use the thing that that is going to be way more insightful than the demos that any demo that you might prepare. Yeah. It's just going to be more useful. And in my experience, I can provide, I'd be curious if you have any, I can provide a metric on how good your presentation was. So, you know, mm-hmm. starting with a condensed quick version, you are necessarily doing a top-down overview, right? And mm-hmm. you are, so you, you present, you know, even whether or not you bluff it, uh, bottom line up front, you're then going to descend into however many levels of detail under that you feel are necessary and then open it to Q&A. If, you're, if your presentation was good, if you've gotten the information, you've conveyed all the appropriate context and, and detail to whatever point you stopped, most of your questions are going to be at the next lower level of detail, right? If you've, if, mm-hmm. if you're doing the right thing, if you're aimed in the right direction, right? You're not fundamentally wrong in what you're proposing because that can happen, right? Um, and if you haven't messed up much of the explanation, then you're going to start at level one. You're going to provide know, level ones can take you 30 seconds to explain level two. Uh, you know, you're going to spend uh, two, three minutes there. Level three is the last 10 minutes of your presentation. Then you're going to say, OK, let's talk about this. What are the questions? If you've done a good job and if your audience is paying attention, a lot of the Q&A will be at level four. Because they're going to say, "Oh yeah, well, what about this? Well, that's the next level of detail, and this is where we do this." And but so, so that for me has been a metric as to how well I've put together the presentation. And then, because I'm, you know, 
I'm not great, but like I'm at a point where I can pretty consistently get to that place where all of the questions are the next level down. When I'm prepping the presentation, I will at least I will I will actually prep with level four. Um, and I'll at least make sure I thought about level five because depending on the audience and how much time you have and all of that kind of stuff, that's where the questions are going to be. And I don't like going into it cold. You know, I want to have, you know, sort of guns loaded there. So maybe I have like slides at the end, you know, there's the corporate template has the thank you slide at the end, right? I may put level four slides after that. Uh, cause I figure the conversation is going to go there. Um, if it's something that requires, uh, any kind of, if a visual would help, uh, cause I don't want to have to do that on the fly. Um, and then I'll have at least try to think through that level. And again, these are arbit, I'm saying levels. It's an arbitrary, mm, uh, mechanic, right? To, to facilitate our discussion. But, um, that's, that's kind of my, that's kind of been my experience. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really good. I never thought about that, but yeah. I mean, I've always thought, okay, you get good Q&A. That's usually indicative of how useful your presentation was perceived mm-hmm. to be. But the nature of those questions, that's a dimension that I never really thought about. That's a good point. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really good. Uh, it, yeah. Bravo. Well done. I can, I can get behind. I need like a golf I'll clap. I'll get a golf, a golf clap, clap for that. Yeah, golf, clap. Right. Well, golf clap. I can handle that. So back to... Back to our list here. I wanted to, um, I'm watching the time. There were a couple things I wanted to make sure I got through. So on the topic of talk, we, we've been talking about talking to humans. One of the things that I wanted to make sure I, I got. podcasters. Of course, we've been talking about talking. <laughs> That's <laughs> what we do. Never ending so content. Much, so much freaking talking. One of the things I, I, I touched on it before when I mentioned the Nick Burns thing and, and how engineers have a tendency it's well-intentioned, but almost always fatal to a conversation to go Nick Burns. No, you're wrong. Move. I'll do it. I want, I, there's a thing. It's being done wrong. I want to correct it so that it's done right. I, I, mm-hmm. have, I have a focus on quality and correctness because that's a big part of what I do and why and how I do it. I mean, it is inherent to being an engineer. So it comes from a good place. But... When it comes to interacting with humans, that does not always work. So, for example, I, I mentioned this hypothetical of, of requirements gathering and, and the, this, this fictitious customer giving me a whole bunch of stuff about what they wanted to do. And we elevated the conversation up to, okay, we'll back up from the thing, what it actually looks like to the, to the business process. Now, internally, what I'm actually thinking as this goes is, okay, I hear what they're saying, but this is absolutely wrong, and I would never, ever build it this way. The, the, inex- the less experienced engineer, uh, or, or, or I, I don't know, the, 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 the greater jerk engineer, I suppose, uh, th- there are those types out there too, would actually take that opportunity to call out, nope, wrong, we're not going to do that. Now let's talk about the process so that I can actually put this, put this thing together the right way instead of this cockamamie scheme that you came up with. Mm-hmm. Any of that inclination that you have, I, I think you've 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 got to you've got to put that away. It's it's not ever helpful. And I had I had the fortunate experience early in my career. Uh, actually, before I even got out of school, I would work summers in a school district where I grew up, and I had the opportunity to work with their head of IT. Now this was back in the nineties, so IT was important at that. But it was a burgeoning thing, so it was yeah. just the IT department was for for a multi building. It was a large district, uh, K to eight district, many buildings. Uh, th- something like, man, how many students? Uh, Ten to twenty thousand, I want to say. Like it, it was not a it was not a small operation. Multiple yeah, buildings, it's a multiple district. setups. Yeah, it was a decent sized district, and it was one guy. When I started working summers with him, that was it. It right. was just him. God love him. And I saw the pressure that he was under. I mean, he had every, he had teachers, he had principals, he had board members and the suit all the way up to the superintendent breathing down his neck for all kinds of stuff. Now they were all very, actually very nice people, but they all had real needs and real concerns and things were really broken and they were really worried about them. 
and he never cracked. And what he always did, and I remember it because it's, it's, it's become core to how I do things now. If somebody came to him with a problem or a question or a concern, his first reaction, no matter what they said, was always the same, a variation on the same thing. It was, okay, I hear you. Yeah, we'll get you straightened out. It's no problem. We'll, we'll sort it out. Didn't matter how big it was. Didn't matter how complex it yeah. was. Didn't matter if it was going to cost a fortune. Didn't matter if it was going to take months to fix. His, his answer was always the same because what he was trying to do was get in a position where he was aligned with the other party to address the problem together as a, as a team. It's not me versus you. It's me and you versus the problem. Oh, and dude, it, say that again. It's, it's, it's not me versus, uh, wait a minute, where's my, it's not me versus you on an issue. It's me and you as a team versus the problem. And that's yes. where that a lot of engineers fall down here. They see the, they see the other party as the opponent, as their, as their antagonist. And they're trying to get this thing done and, and you're just getting in my freaking way. And I just need you to get the hell out of my way. And what you're trying to do is wrong and I need it to be done right. And I've got to, you know, and that, that line of thinking you have to cut. It, that yeah. never, ever works. And so you need to focus on getting the, getting the party aligned with you. The other thing that that particular reaction does is it calms the other person down, which is really, really useful if you're dealing with a, a fire scenario. Something's on, you know, you're, you have a system that's down, major bug, and a customer has reported it. Whatever. In those kinds of situations where things are going really bad, saying, I hear you, it's okay, we're going to sort this out, it immediately just deflates. And yeah. I've been on, and I have, I have since used it on customer calls, and it really, you can take extreme, <laughs> in a couple of cases, extremely irate, uh, 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 Karen-level uh, 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 discord, and you, mm -hmm. can, you can get to smooth waters pretty quickly. Because in most cases, they just want to know that their problem, that they're being heard, that the problem is understood and recognized and appreciated. Forget being fixed. Just, I have this yeah. problem. I hear you. You got this problem. I, I'm with you. Let's work it. Like, oh, thank mm -hmm. you. Okay. Yes, I feel better. Yeah. It's, it, so it's, it's removing, removing because there's this like, like, you know, IT is a, in most places, IT is a shared service, right? And yeah. so people know that there are other people asking for your time. And so the first thing they do, they've got to, they, they get their back up and they assume that they're going to have to convince somebody they're to pay to attention fight. to them. They're going to have to fight. And, right. They're going to have to fight to, for the right, right? They're going to have to argue. It's going to be an issue just to get some attention. And so by disarming that, it's a game changer. Mm -hmm. Huge, huge game changer. And so you're getting that out of the way. And just, just doing the other thing that that does, though, the reason I brought it up in this, these are all side benefits to the reason I actually brought it up when it comes to being an engineer and learning the core skill of talking with humans. By approaching, by making that your step one or even your step zero in the entire engagement, it puts you on a path. It puts your interaction with that person on a path that if you can, so, so just, this is where we get sort of soft and nebulous and we talk about you know, the, the energy and the, you know, just the, the karma of the, the situation. As soon as you're walking on this path of, I'm with you, we're here, we're doing it together. Well, now all of your, everything you do after that point is now going to be informed by that. You, you, know, you have established this as the predicate for how we're going to deal with this, how we're going to work together. Yeah. And so now all of your thinking is going to follow this same process. It's all going to be, rather than it being move, you're wrong, you're dumb, it becomes, let's work on this together. Here's what I see. What do you see? Does this make sense? Are we on, you know, are, 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 will this solve? Are the we problem? on the same page? Are we on the same yeah. page? It, it it naturally positions the conversation to go in a positive direction, and and all you had to do it, 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 the opening first impressions you know you can only make one mm -hmm. first impression it's it's that it's that same it's that same thing, and so when you're deal whether it's dealing with 
the printer won't print or busted laptop or you have an entire uh, a, a tire pop, entire point of presence in a in a data center that's completely inaccessible. You know, whatever whatever level mm. of disaster or challenge you're facing, or it's a new project and you greenfield and you're putting a billion dollar investment into it. Doesn't matter. Just same approach every time because it doesn't matter how big or small these problems are. They all come back to people. Which again, that's the thing that I think a lot of engineers forget. The tech follows the people, not the other way around. If you just Build those relationships and just work in a, in, a, in, a, in a constructive fashion towards a solution or resolution. The whole thing sort of sorts itself out. And then it beca- that actually becomes, if you can do that, then talking to humans actually becomes very easy. If you can start there, I feel like everything else follows. And the, and the- Adjusting the dialogue from one of, uh, one of a- adversarial to collaborative that's that's key. That's mm-hmm, key, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're going to get you're going to get better communication. You're going to build a better relationship. There's going to be more empathy in both directions. It's going to change the entire tenor of of really the experience for both of you, right? Not mm-hmm. just it's not just this is not like oh, quick life hack to calm down an unreasonable client. That's mm-hmm. not what it is. Mm-hmm. It's like change everybody's experience, and mm-hmm. <laughs> that has untold dividends. It Huge. really does. Huge. Um, other key point I wanted to make sure I covered on these, on these subjects goes back to documentation, documentation. Uh, we've talked about this on the show before, absolutely essential to any project, especially if it's open source, um, or if it's an, if it's completely amorphous, like an API, it actually doesn't even have a physical interface, a visual interface, like a website that you can even see. If you don't have documentation, it's my opinion, no matter what your project is, but especially in those situations, if you don't have documentation, your project does not exist. So it becomes absolutely critical. And this and is where- don't trip over yourself in the formatting. Don't trip over yourself in making it perfect or complete, because if you're not going to start unless you can do it completely and perfectly up front, then you're never going to start. It's never going to get done. There's an old, and I mean like way old, uh, uh, NSFW quote about software documentation. Can you generate uh, it a little bit? It's like sex. When it's good, it's really good. And when it's bad, it's better than nothing. <laughs> like that's the... <laughs> I can get like, behind get, that. I can get behind like, that. Like something is better than nothing. Get it done. Get, just start the draft. Make it rough. That's fine. A bulleted list of ideas on a Confluence page or in a Markdown wiki or somewhere shared is better than nothing. And then you can iterate opportunistically and flesh things out. At least it tells people where your head is at. So like if I'm if I if I'm the owner for a module and there's no documentation and I just put down seven bullets in a Confluence page somewhere or a wiki somewhere. Okay. Now you're coming in and you're reading this documentation such as it is. What do these seven bullets tell you? Hey, these are the things that are important, are most broken, work most well. Like these, like it or just having those seven bullets orients you a little more in time and space to be able to ask follow-up questions. Right. And so, you know, and then you can improve over time. But yeah, mm-hmm. just start it. Just start it. You, you you definitely took some of my you took some of my thunder, but I'm that that was sorry. No, that's okay. That, that that's the most important point is to get started. But I was actually going to focus in a little bit more on the on the hang up that engineers have when it comes to getting started. Because again, we're engineers. We want to build the thing right. We want to do the process right. The square peg has to go in the square hole. It can't go in the round hole. What the hell's wrong with you? No, square holes only for these square pegs. You godless heathen, you. That's, that's nah. just how we work. And what that leads to with documentation is it has to be right. It has to be perfect. And I have to have all of the detail and I have to have everything laid out. And so what that leads to is I, I've got to build this chart. I've got to build this, 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 this diagram. I have to have these definitions of terms. I have to have my, my mapping of all of my classes, libraries, objects, variables, whatever it is. And it just, I need this, I need this, I need this. And until I have all of this, I don't have anything. And that is absolutely false. Start with a thing and start locate. The documentation documentation is not software, right? (laughs) Like, like, like if I, if I want to write, if I want to write a program 
the main function is not enough. If I'm going to start documentation, that's a start. That's that's right? that's, like, an, that's a perfect start to document it. The main the main function is enough for your documentation. So so you're I mean, that's that's true for 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 programming. There you go. That's another. We got some we got some good tidbits. We got some good tidbits today. So if you're writing the program, the main function is not enough. If you're writing documentation, the main function it is, is more than enough. You you have to get you, started. Yeah, just just start and iterate. Right. I have seen programs. This is one of my the funnier ones for me. I have seen documentation efforts get hung up because they're not sure where to store them. They have they yeah. have Google Docs. They have Git repositories. They've got Confluence. They have wikis. And mm-hmm. oh, well, we've got to figure out which of these systems is actually going to be. No, gosh, no, goodness. Yeah. Just Write it and put it somewhere. Put it somewhere. <laughs> Move it later. Honestly, in I mean, pro tip in those kinds of situations where you do actually have a dearth of of options, um, you're you're dealing with decision paralysis. Obviously, I find that going with the simplest low tech answer is actually the best because that allows you uh, the maximum freedom to lift and shift that that documentation to a more complex, robust in infrastructure later if you want to. Also, you don't generally need it for most documentation. I think. Yeah. The best documentation, in my opinion, is actually markdown documents either in the same repository as the code or in a repository that lives in the same namespace as the code. It is right yeah, there. I, it's just right there. That is my, that's my go-to. I'm a huge fan of just a readme.md in, yep. the, in, the, yep. in the Git root. And then in each subfolder where... You want to add documentation, right? Have a readme in each folder. And, and you know, uh, if you're using something like GitLab, you can automatically hot link them and, and yep. so forth. That's great. Um, but just put it right, put it in a text file right next to the code. Put it in a Word doc and email it to everybody on the team. Like it, it literally doesn't matter what you do. Just start it. Just yep. do something now and then you can move it later. We had a, a discussion um, a couple of weeks ago and uh, the topic of uh, of a database migration came up. Right? Oh, we have this uh, we have this application, and it's in RDBMSA. And uh, you know, can we or should we move it to RDBMSB? Right? So it's in MySQL. Should we put it to Oracle? Whatever the whatever the sure, yeah, you know yeah. mm-hmm. situation is. Yeah. Um, and so you know, the funny thing is, like the system's not really going to tolerate that very well. It's not worth our effort to try to do this because there's too much work involved, right? There's no ROI. And I said, by the way, mm-hmm. I have never in my entire professional career ever seen a redatabasing of an of a of a legacy application. I've never seen anybody actually how much time and effort do we waste thinking about well what happens if we want to change databases later versus oh how I- often it actually <sighs> had I had one one person in the room who's been in industry for 30 years said, yes, I saw somebody try this once and it never happened because it was too complicated. One single time in a room of a dozen people, one person had seen it tried once and it didn't work. It's not a thing. And so that and is, is, my point this, is, this is, this is, to, I, I, I want to, that's a sidebar. No, it's a total sidebar. And I actually, I, I am down for it. We've only got a few minutes left here, but I'm totally down for the sidebar. Cause I think this is absolutely true. It's the dumbest question. No, pro, you're right. I don't think I've never seen it. You've never seen it. Apparently one guy, one time somewhere saw an attempt at it. This notion drives me nuts, especially with cloud. Cause you hear about this, this re, you know, re-databasing or you know, re-homing the data when yeah. uh, when we go to the cloud or from the cloud or from, I want to be able to put it in this provider and that provider at the same time, the same, but different. It's all nonsense. You're never yeah. going to actually do that. The way that this actually gets done is you don't actually re-home the data in a new system. Is You just start refactoring the data, refactoring the entire application to use the new infrastructure, you're gonna you're you're actually gonna build. Okay, so oh, we're moving. Or, or in our case, we're we're looking at you know a Microsoft project. It's on SQL Server. We're looking to move to Azure. Uh, it's going to be Azure SQL. No, because there there are little nuanced differences that are going to trip us up. What we're going to wind yeah. up doing is creating a virtual SQL Server and then migrating the data. And yeah. so it's not actually read like and all this all this time and effort we spend on database portability. The, the key insight, it's, it's, crap. 
total. Crime. Well, it's it's not it's not total, right? But not in the way that people think. Nobody's actually ever moving a database. You're not moving from SQL to Oracle to MySQL to that. That doesn't happen, right? What you're going to do, though, is you're going to use the same database abstraction library across your projects, and no matter which underlying store they interact with, the programmer interface remains the same. Mm -hmm. That, to me, that's like when I hear database portability, when I hear that topic comes up, that's what I think to me, because that I actually have seen. Oh, hey, it's a blank for it's a, a Ruby or a Java or a C Sharp or whatever Python type program, and you know, this year we're targeting a SQL Server database and next year we're going to be targeting Oracle and we're going to use the same ORM because the adapter is the same and we know how to build our applications and we know the quirks of it and we know how it works. And so it's not going to be a problem, right? The, the, the reusability for the developer, the developer experience, in other words, is the important part of it. You're never actually going to move databases. It's, yeah, not, it's not going to happen. You're talking... Um I want to make sure I understood the scenario you just described there. Are you talking about like, so let's say you're a, like let's say you're a source like, project. You like you're, you're like, no, no, no. Oh, okay. Like you're, you're like you're a web development shop, right? Okay. And All so right. you use rails for everything and sure. you use active record. And normally you put everything oh, into Postgres, right? So, so uh, everything's in Postgres. All of a sudden you get a client who's got to have it in SQL. Well, Mm, okay, okay, but you're still going to use Active Record, and right. so for you as an application developer in the Rails ecosystem, you don't care whether it's Postgres or MySQL or SQL or Oracle. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. Right? To me, and I'm just this is a me statement. Like to me, that's what this database portability really means. Mm -hmm. It's the developer experience of not having to care which one it is. It's an RDBMS. I don't care. The ORM has adapters to handle the details. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't need to know what, right? Because it's never going to move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, you're talking about a slightly different scenario. I'm thinking about a, instead of a web development shop, I'm I'm a tech company and I have an application and it uses one of these platforms. It doesn't matter which one. Mm -hmm. You know, the, there those are the, com those are the scenarios where I hear the most about database portability. Oh, well, what if yeah. we need to move it for this? What, yeah. Well, you know. What if a meteor hits us tomorrow? I mean, it's it's the most it's, it's yeah. the most ridiculous. What it's if navel ever. gazing, and in that scenario, I don't. You're you're never going to forcibly rehome the data like you the you, know, you just described. You're dealing with it now. You're you're actually going to you know sort of make the data semi portable, and then you're going to start re rebuilding or refactoring the application around it to leverage this new data structure. And it's for a while, the application is going to look in both places for different pieces. And then eventually it'll be everything will eventually move to just the one. But that's not an effort of rehoming the data. You're actually changing the application to fundamentally use the the new structure. And so it's it's a completely bass backwards way of thinking about database. Like you're, you're not rehoming the data. You're refactoring the application to leverage a different database backend. That's not the same thing. And so every time I hear about this rehoming data, re, you know, well, because you know, it's fundamentally it's like nonsense, like unless, okay. So if you were Facebook or Reddit, all right, your database choices, low level database choices may matter, right? Mm -hmm. Um, there may be a diff there, there's a difference at that scale between SQL and Postgres and MySQL and Oracle and, and you know, whether or not you care is, is besides the point. What happens though, is for every other company under the sun, one RDBMS as good as the other. And you can get them all yeah, to scale to sure. the same sizes in the same way. Like it's not, and so and so why, the question comes up, why are you moving from Postgres to MySQL? Yeah, right? What are you actually you, getting? What's, what's, there's the, what's no, there's the no benefit to what's this, the right? What you're doing yeah. is you're saying, hey, I'm going to take a subset of my data and I'm going to port it to some other system, right? I'm going to port, I'm going to take part of my application to your point, I'm going to refactor it to use Redis or to use Mongo or to use Cassandra yeah, so or, no uh, you know, document store or you know what like I mean? Yeah. There's a, or a different system or a, or a columnar system, right? It's not, it's not just trading one relational system for another because that's the waste of time. Just right. scale the other system. I, I, it doesn't, yeah. uh, sidebar. Yeah. Doesn't totally happen. Delicious sidebar. That was, that was quite tasty. We were talking about documentation. I forget the how, how the heck you got to databases and database rehoming. Oh, I'm I move in mysterious ways. Yeah, I take us I from can, point A to point purple yeah, like, can, with ease. <laughs> point A to point purple to Roman numeral 12. <laughs>
to an Algerian flag to hexadecimal representation yeah. of the word Zoom. <laughs> so the one we, I mean, we, we, we sort of opened with it. I'm going to close with it. The learn get thing. But we, that would be, that was number four, but it's also kind of number one or it's actually yeah. kind of number zero. If you really want to go there, learn, get, put everything in get. Oh, that was a, a, your documentation thing. You talked about put in a word document, put it wherever. And oh, email yeah. It. I, I will say, yeah, I would skip word documents if you can. No, you know, no. I, the, the goal is to remove mental barriers and just writing the stuff down. Okay. Because, okay. and my point, right, how point. we got fair onto point. the database thing was that your documentation is really easy to migrate and it probably will move around from time to time, unlike your RDBMS. Okay. Fair, fair point. Fair point. All right. Well, what do you all think? Is there is this list make sense to you? Have you done these things? Are you good at these things? Do you suck at these things like we do? And we try and suck a little less every day. We'd love to hear from you. Give us some feedback. Feedback at refactor.work. That's where you can reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find my musings at hotcoles, K-O-E-H-L-S.com. You can find Chris at Tonkinson.com. I missed the show site, although I kind of said it in the email. Refactor.work is the website. You can find the show there, show notes, links. Uh, today, we will have meme pictures of tire swings to go along with it. All kinds of fun stuff that you can find over there. And this has been episode 97, closing in on three digits of the Refactor podcast recorded on February 14th, 2023. Always a pleasure, Chris. Thanks, Frank. <laughs>